All right, so we're picking up with number 32, which is the executive branch. Uh, and don't forget, if you're trying to write stuff down, you know, you can just uh, listen to the podcast um, to, to review. Okay. All right, so what are the formal qualifications to be president? Pretty simple. You got to be 35 years old. You got to be uh, a natural born citizen. And you have to have been in the country for 14 years. Okay. So you can you know, be a natural born citizen, move out. Uh, live elsewhere, then come back, but you had to have to establish 14 years. Uh, 33, how can a presidential veto be overridden? Well, you got to, it's a pretty big number. Uh, you got to have two thirds of the entire Congress. So that would be 535 people. So whatever two thirds of that is, it's like 460 something. So it's a pretty big number. So vetoes don't get overridden uh, all that often. If the president is super unpopular, they're more likely to be overridden than if the president is really popular. 34, what is the name of the report the president has to give to Congress once a year? Uh, it's in the Constitution. Uh, it is the State of the Union address. Uh, and this is going to be the president kind of recapping the previous year and then kind of laying out their plans for the new year. Uh, this will happen sometime uh, in February, maybe March, depending upon uh, the time frame. It used to be a just a written report that the president would give Congress, but now uh, it's turned into the big speech that they give. Uh, who helps advise the president? The main thing we're looking for here is the cabinet. Those are those 15 positions uh, that kind of oversee large parts of uh, the country. So like the Department of Interior, the uh, Department of Education, you know, just big pieces of the, uh, of the country uh, and are just uh, going to give the president advice, although they don't have to listen to him. 36, what does it mean that the president is the commander in chief? Pretty simple. They are in charge of the military. All military decisions go through them, except for um, declaring war. The Congress declares war. 37 is the 25th Amendment. Uh, the 25th Amendment is the one that establishes the line of succession. So if the president goes down, resigns, whatever it might be, uh, they are going to have the vice president take over. If something happened to both of them, then the Speaker of the House, and it goes all the way down through the cabinet positions. So it does put that in order uh, of, of who's going to be in charge. There's also a piece in there about what happens if the president is incapacitated. How could the vice president take over? They would have to consult with the cabinet, and if they could come to a, an agreement, uh, then the, the vice president might could potentially take over that way. Uh, never happened. Uh, 38, who are the two people in order who would be next in line for the presidency? We just said this, it'd be the vice president and then the speaker of the house. Number 39, what is the name for the many people and organizations of government that work in the executive branch? That is the bureaucracy. Uh, the bureaucracy is the, um, people that can, uh, bureaucracy is good question. B U R E A U. C-R-C-Y, something like that. Uh, I never can spell it right. I have to do spell check uh, on my Word documents. So that's as close as I can get, though. Uh, but they're the ones that help the president with the enforcement of all the laws. Remember, that is the president's job, is to enforce uh, all the laws that Congress passes and all those different agencies, the EPA, the FBI, the uh, Securities Exchange Commission, the FCC, Federal uh, Communication Commission, all those different things are going to help the president enforce all the laws. All right, going on to the judicial branch. Number 40 says, who has to confirm presidential appointments to the Supreme Court? That is the Senate. 
and the Senate only. Uh, it used to be that it took a two-thirds vote to appoint, excuse me, to confirm uh, an appointment to the Supreme Court, but now is 51. It just takes a simple majority of the Senate to get someone onto the Supreme Court. Uh, what is a majority opinion? So when the Supreme Court rules, there are nine justices, and they will have a vote. You could have votes of 9-0, Whoever is on the winning side, so the 5-4, uh, I mean, the, the people that voted within the 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, they are the majority. And so they will get to write the main opinion. Uh, it is important because that is what the agencies that uh, have to enforce whatever opinion they ruled on will kind of use to guide them, okay? So uh, nothing has been decided yet, but there was some, there's some abortion cases that are out there, and the Supreme Court just heard uh, one dealing with Mississippi. Uh, you had a chance to write uh, some extra credit on that. But uh, anyways, who, however, whichever way they decide, whether it's for or against the Mississippi stuff, uh, the majority opinion person will write and lay out, this is why we ruled this way, and that'll be kind of the guide for states and agencies to enforce whatever the decision they, they come to is, all right? Um, so that is the majority opinion. You also have uh, concurrent, concurrent opinions. Those are the person or the people that agreed with the majority opinion, but maybe they agree for different reasons, or maybe they just like to write. Uh, I would never be that person. Like, I'd let somebody else write the majority opinion, and I would just vote and be done. Uh, I would never write. I hate writing. Anyways, uh, and then you got the dissenting opinion. So if it is a 5-4 decision, the four that were against the decision will write and get their opinions out there as well. Okay, that way, if something goes wrong, if it looks like history is not going to be kind to the decision, they can always say, hey, look, we rule, we, we voted this way, and this is why. Uh, 42, most cases get to the Supreme Court through what type of jurisdiction? That is appellate or appeals. Okay, so most every case, probably 98% of the cases the Supreme Court here are going to be appeals. Um, the Supreme Court can hear cases first, but it is only when it is uh, two states having a problem or three states or whatever the number might be, uh, or if it's dealing with foreign dignitaries. So there's not going to be many cases where the Supreme Court is going to hear the case first. Typically, it's going to start at a federal district court or at a state court and then work its way up through the process. Uh, very rarely, if ever, does the Supreme Court just say, hey, let's hear a case for the first time uh, out of the blue like that. Number 43, what did Marbury versus Madison establish? So Marbury versus Madison is the, the biggest case uh, and the big, biggest precedent setting case because it established judicial review. That is the biggest, most powerful thing that the courts have is that they can overrule and say that some laws, some policies are unconstitutional. Uh, for example, back in 1989, uh, every state had a flag burning law, said you could not burn the flag, uh, and the Supreme Court overturned those state laws. And that's why you can burn the flag nowadays. Okay, that's judicial review. They looked at the law and they said it's unconstitutional. 44, what did McCullough versus Maryland justify? Uh, that is the supremacy clause. And uh, basically what happened here is that uh, Maryland did not like the Bank of the United States. They wanted to kind of get rid of it as best they could, so they decided to tax it uh, and just overtax it, basically. 
taxes so much that it was shut down. And the bank, bank refused to pay, then went to court, and the Supreme Court's going to rule uh, two things. First off, they rule that, hey, you know, Congress has the right, has the ability to create this thing through the Supremacy Clause, through the Necessary and Proper Clause. Uh, and so they, they backed that up. And they also said that states cannot uh, tax, cannot try and affect uh, federal agencies like that. Number 45, what did Brown versus Board of Education decide? Uh, that was the desegregation of schools back in 1954. Uh, it was a groundbreaking case because it overturned the separate but equal that America had had since 1890 something or other with Plessy versus Ferguson. Um, so it is, and it's a good example also of, you know, the, the enforcement piece that we talked about with 39, uh, the court made their decision, but then it was up to the states and the agencies to enforce it. And probably most of you remember from U.S. history that uh, a lot of schools did not desegregate uh, as quickly as the Supreme Court had intended. You know, this was in 1954. Um, and even as of 1965, most schools in the South had not uh, fully integrated. It took 60, I think it was 66 or 67 uh, for the South to finally begin to, to fully integrate. And it took some legislation threatening uh, fines and jail time and a lack loss of money for them to do so. Number 46, what now has to happen because of the Miranda versus Arizona decision? So Miranda versus Arizona deals with uh, your right not to incriminate yourself. Remember, that's from the Fifth Amendment. And so this is why you're going to get your rights read to you if you're ever arrested. Don't be arrested, please. I don't want to see your name out there. But if you ever are, they should read your rights, which are going to say, hey, you have the right to remain silent. And the best piece of advice I can give you, I told you the other day to just ask for a lawyer. The other thing is to just shut up. Don't say a word to the police, okay? Uh, especially if you're a suspect, if you're being arrested, anything like that. Even if you're innocent, uh, just shut up, say you want a lawyer, and work from there, okay? Uh, but that's Miranda versus Arizona. In this case, Miranda was accused of uh, attacking and raping a young lady. He was caught, arrested. He confessed when he was questioned. Uh, so they used that, that confession to really get him, not really, but there was some evidence, uh, but to, to get him convicted. He appeals based on the fact that, hey, I didn't know I didn't have to talk to the police. I didn't know I didn't have to self-incriminate. And so the Supreme Court is going to agree with them. He gets a second trial. He still found guilty even without the confession in there. So he was pretty guilty. Number 47, what did Gideon versus Wainwright establish? Uh, this was the uh, right to a lawyer case. So the Sixth Amendment protects you and says, hey, you have a right to a lawyer. Uh, this is the case that kind of backs that up because Gideon was not given a lawyer because they only gave lawyers to uh, people who had committed a felony. And so since he had not committed a felony, only a misdemeanor for his breaking and entering, uh, they did not give him a lawyer. And he appealed based on that. The Supreme Court agreed with him. So now everybody gets a lawyer. So that's why I say now, just ask for a lawyer. So two biggest pieces of advices, advice from this class. Don't talk to the police. The only thing you should ever say to them is, I want a lawyer. All right, last little bit there, 48, what is due process? Uh, due process is the basically fourth through eighth amendments. Due process is your protections as a suspect, as someone that's charged with a crime, someone that's going to court, someone that is found guilty and incarcerated. You have due process from the time you are suspected of a crime 
with the Fourth Amendment, unlawful search and seizures. They cannot search you without permission. They cannot search you without a warrant or anything like that. Okay. Uh, and then once you've been arrested, your Fifth Amendment rights kick in. You don't have to self-incriminate. If you are found not guilty, they can't charge you again. The whole double jeopardy is to keep the government from constantly trying you until they get the outcome that they want. Your Sixth Amendment rights, that's your right to a jury trial, your right to a fair and speedy trial, a public trial, your right to a lawyer. All of those things are part of due process. The Seventh Amendment is in the case of a civil case. Same stuff applies to the Sixth Amendment. And then the Eighth Amendment, uh, no cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, and typically we, we, our mind goes right to the death penalty, but that also means that they can't overcharge you or uh, they can't overpunish you for a crime. If, you know, you go on a quick trip and you grab some beef jerky because it's right there at the front of the door and you run out, but then uh, you trip and fall and the QT people catch you, they're not going to give you 50 years for trying to steal some $6 jerky or whatever it might cost. Uh, so the, the punishment has got to fit the crime. And all that stuff is part of your due process. So all the rights you have as an accused person, as someone on the trial, and then someone who's convicted, you have rights. Uh, 49, the 19th Amendment is pretty simple. It gave women the right to vote back in 1919. 50, the 26th Amendment gave 18-year-olds the right to vote. So 18-year-old people have the right to vote. 51, what type of court would you be in when one citizen sues another citizen? That is the civil courts. So you've got criminal. The criminal cases, that's where uh, you've broken some law and the government is trying to punish you. Civil cases, that is where uh, something has happened. and Maybe you didn't break a law, but maybe you're at fault for something and someone sues you. Okay. Um, had we been face to face, I would have told the story of my dad's estate. Uh, it got sued because me and my sister refused to pay someone uh, who made a claim on my dad's estate. Uh, he had a, a contract. Let me, I'm doing air quotes now because uh, it was a forgery. Uh, we both saw this, that me and my sister both saw that it was not my dad's signature. And so we refused to pay. So he sued us and we had to go to civil court. Okay. We broke no laws, nothing like that. Uh, and we won the case. He ended up having to, he didn't get any of the money he wanted. Plus he had to pay our lawyer fees. So it was awesome. All right. Uh, 52. What can a person in criminal court do if they disagree with their guilty verdict? They can always appeal. So you have uh, several appeals throughout the process. So if you get found guilty, uh, you can appeal that decision. Now, it does have it can't just be, hey, I lost. I want to appeal. You have to have a valid reason. And it's not hard to find, but you do have to have a reason to appeal. OK, uh, 53. What is the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony? It's just the serious seriousness of the crime. Typically, uh, a misdemeanor is the lighter of the two and typically won't uh, come with the serious jail time uh, if convicted versus a felony where uh, you, you you it's a more serious crime, obviously, and you're going to have some serious consequences uh, for committing a felony. Um, I don't think on the test they're going to ask, this is a county test, remember, I don't think they're going to ask you specifically, hey, this is a misdemeanor or this is a felony. Uh, but just understand the difference that misdemeanor is less serious than a felony. Don't commit either one, but if you ever do, misdemeanor is less serious. All right, last two things there, 54 and 55. What is a political action committee? Uh, political action committee is a fundraising organization that was created after they put restrictions on how much money people could donate. So uh, let's pretend 
and I, I would really like this, but let's pretend that I'm a wealthy person. I'm not, and it's, it hurts my soul that I'm not. Uh, but let's say I was, and I had a million dollars that I was willing to give to uh, a politician, okay? The rules are in place now that I am limited to how much I can give to each politician. So I could not give a million dollars to uh, politician A. All right, I can only give my maximum amount, which I think is around $6,000. It changes from, from all the time, and I haven't looked here recently. But let's say it's around $6,000. But now I have 999,900, or it's too much math. I have a lot of money left that I want to give to other politicians or to this politician. So since people find ways around stuff, they gave money to the, they give money to the political action committee which in turn will then donate to the politician or will in turn run commercials or do some campaigning stuff for that politician. All right. So the political action committee is just a fundraising way around uh, some of the laws and limits that are placed on what you call it, uh, campaign financing. Finally, what are lobbyists? Uh, lobbyists are people that work for interest groups typically, uh, although they could work for businesses and really anybody, you know, me and you could go out and hire lobbyists if we wanted to. I don't know what we would hire, hire them for, but we could. And uh, the lobbyists will try and, I don't want to say negotiate, but they will try and convince congressmen to vote certain ways on pieces of legislation that are in the process. They will try and convince them to make changes to laws that are in the process. Uh, basically, lobbyist job is to kind of um, negotiate on behalf of the interest groups, the businesses, whatever organization has hired them for congressmen to make changes to kind of or or not not make changes. Maybe the maybe the EPA. I mean, not the EPA, but the uh, one of the wildlife groups out there really likes the legislation that's in place. Let's keep it. So they, they would get their lobbyists to go to the congressman and say, hey, we want you to keep this legislation. So it can go either way. All right. That is the review. Once again, finish this up. Uh, I gave you a paper copy in class. If you need a paper copy, uh, then come see me because I won't see you on Wednesday or Thursday. And I'll give you the paper copy um, so you can do it for extra credit. Turn it in to me on Friday when we take the test. We will take the test Friday during seventh period. Uh, it'll be in my classroom, 2016, and we'll do it on the computer. Uh, I'll have devices for you. Don't bring your, you don't have to bring yours. I have, you'll, you have to use the school computer. Uh, we'll log in. We'll take it on the secure browser and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you, you're, you've done this stuff before. This isn't going to be something new for you. So uh, just be prepared. Uh, as you study, if you have questions, feel free to reach out via Remind. Feel free to email me uh, or contact me however you want to. Uh, once again, if you have questions and you're on Twitter and want to contact that way, then chhsgov underscore civics, and I'll be happy to respond to you there. Basically, if you have a question, then find a way to get me, and I'll answer your question as best I can. All right, guys, I hope all is well. Best of luck on your second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth period exams. I hope you all make 100s. 
And uh, I'll see you in class on Friday for our last little bit of time together. And then uh, you get to go off to be uh, an economist in the spring. All right, guys. Best of luck, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Bye-bye.